Hello and welcome to the Dialogues Podcast. My name is Luis Felipe Lamusi. I'm the host for this season. And today we are going to talk about the Ontario Autism Program and the changes that the province is bringing to the table. Jennifer Donnelly, coordinator of the Autism and Behavior Science Program here at George Brown College, and Lisa Kresman, applied behavior analysis at a center for kids with autism, explain how the program really works. But before that, we will listen to Lisa Yakley, who shares the story of her five-year-old daughter, Lauren, diagnosed by the age of two and who until now has her treatment funded by the government. Could you start telling me a little bit of her story and when she started attending the, the center? For sure, yeah. So she started, we're coming up on two years ago in May where she first started. Um, so she was originally diagnosed just after her second birthday. And within a couple of days, I added her to the wait list for um, what is now what you would call the Ontario Autism Program. Mm -hmm. um, had a few different names since she would have uh, been on it at the very beginning. Um, and at that time, when we added her to the list, we were told it was a three-and-a-half-year wait uh, for the funded therapy. So in the meantime, obviously, as we hurry up and wait on the wait list, uh, we decided to go privately to look at ABA therapy to obviously jumpstart as, as quick as we could. As well, we were doing speech therapy twice a week. Again, you know, early intervention they keep talking about. So we've basically paid privately out of pocket uh, for speech therapy since she was two years old. And then in the interim from two until she received the funding uh, under the autism program, we, we paid for that out of pocket ourselves. So unfortunately, that's the stories you hear from a lot of parents. Um, you know, we're, we're patiently waiting um, we wait our turn uh, in line to, to get this life-changing treatment for our kids. And, uh, you know, we do everything we can to support them and uh, give them everything they can so that we can, you know, help our kids learn these skills that their peers um, that don't have the diagnosis, that don't have um, the different styles of learning, different strategies, learning at their own pace. Um, it's really one of those things where you're doing everything for your kid to for them to learn and uh, to have these skills that, um, like I said, their their peers can learn so naturally. So. Yeah, and could you share some of the those experiences and skills your daughter is developing at the center? Uh, what have you been seeing that changed on her since she started the program? Well, first when she started, um, we were working on her responding to her name. Um, so to say, you know, Lauren, you know, here, look here kind of thing, um, even to get her attention to acknowledge her name and to know her name is Lauren, that was our starting point. Because when you think of things like, um, you know, as kids get older and let's say they're by the side of the road and they decide to turn and walk into the street when a car's coming, you know, when you say, Lauren, stop. Yeah. Um, It's just a, some, a skill, something as simple as that. If, if the child doesn't know their name, um, they're not realizing that you're even trying to get their attention. So something as simple as a child learning their name and knowing it and responding to it, um, that was our starting point for Lauren. So she's been doing fantastic with that. We keep, you know, building on skills. Things like eye contact was another one of our goals. Um, to let her know that, hey, you know, you've got to, you've got to look at me when I'm asking you to do something and pay attention. And, you know, when you're thinking of school, for example, when kids are sitting around in a circle and listening to the teacher, uh, during story time, 
um, something as, here, let's sit in a circle and wait to read the story. Um, we had to teach that to Lauren. Uh, how many hours uh, does Lauren uh, attend the, the center per week? Lauren attends 35 hours a week. Um, so it's one of those things they base the level of need, the hours based on the level of need. So for a kiddo like Lauren, when she's attending 35 hours a week, um, it, it acknowledges that she has significant needs. So she wouldn't be there unless for, for that length of time unless it was determined that she had to. So when the February 6th announcement came, they introduced income testing and age discrimination, basically. And when Lauren turned six in December, um, all of a sudden, it doesn't magically change. It doesn't magically mean that, you know, as soon as she turns six, she's down into that $5,000 a year bracket for the uh, latter portion of the, the budget from ages six to 18 at $5,000 a year. Currently, she's in, her therapy is costing $100,000 a year. So when she has a birthday in six months and she's losing $95,000 in funding, what do we do? Where her needs don't change just overnight because she's had a birthday. So it's unfortunate that the ministry is looking at it this way as if a birthday all of a sudden changes our, our child's developmental stages. And I don't think they really understand that, that it, it's not, they're not looking at the individual needs of a child that way. They're looking at them as numbers on a spreadsheet. So it's a bottom line. Each child is going to cost them X amount of dollars for a period of their life. Um, they're very much running this like a business, and it's it's one of those things they're not really investing in our kids and in their futures. If in a couple of years you're going to have to be looking at, say, group home placements because of the level of need uh, an individual could require. So it's it's one of those things, again, I, th I don't think the ministry thought this through um, when they made that announcement on the 6th of February. Um, they basically crushed us. So, you know, they're, we're talking about our children's futures, and um, obviously we want them to grow up and, and have meaningful lives and be as independent as possible in their lifetime. And it's really one of those things where the way they did it, it, it was so vicious. Um, and hurtful for, for our families because we're already struggling to get by with our day-to-day. -day. Um, and until you've walked to a mile in our shoes, you really don't get it. And uh, it, it's hard to explain until you see it. But once you're in this world and part of our community, um, to see that all we're trying to do is, is give our kids the best opportunity to try and be as independent as possible you know, looking at long-term, um, having them be independent, you know, if they're living by themselves, having a job, um, having a meaningful relationship, if that's what they're choosing to do. Like, it, it's one of those things where this therapy is life-changing for many of our kids. Now Jennifer Donnelly explains how the Ontario Autism Program was implemented, how it works, and in her opinion, what should be changed. Donnelly also shares her thoughts on the consequences of trying to teach kids who need special support in the regular school system. Could you just start explaining a little bit about the program and what is intensive behavioral intervention? Right, so uh, the, the Ontario government put in place um, many years ago, about 20 years ago, put in place a program for individuals with autism. 
that was based on the principles of applied behavior analysis. And this was an intensive program, meaning that individuals who required support would receive a number of hours per week, usually averaging between 20 and 25 hours a week of intensive intervention. So essentially what people would do, behavior analysts would do, is we would go in, we would provide an assessment on a learner, determine what skills the learner had in their repertoire, and then figure out what skills they were lacking. And then they would develop a program based on that, uh, using the principles of applied behavior analysis, uh, to teach these individuals. So using the principles, we would do things like uh, breaking skills down into smaller parts to teach them using prompt and reinforcement. And this type of teaching is uh, very different than a school-based approach. It is very individualized program, so it's based on what every individual child needs um, rather than just a generic approach. So that essentially is um, the type of program that was put in place. Um, and then recently, the new ministry um, under Lisa McLeod, um, they came in and they made some changes to that program. And the old program um, worked well. It definitely had its um, problems and needed some tweaks here and there. But rather than just coming in and looking at what was working and what wasn't working and making changes, um, Minister McLeod unfortunately came in and just dismantled the entire thing. Yeah, so I can explain just to our listeners, uh, the new program was based only in age and family income. And here you, what you were talking was the, the therapy was, it's different for each uh, kid, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, coming in and making changes, making it age-based and income-based was really frustrating. Um, and ultimately, the, what the changes meant were that individuals were no longer going to be able to receive the intensive intervention they needed. Um, under this new program um, by Minister McLeod, um, you know, they over the last uh, few months, we've seen some changes. So um, they have actually lifted the age cap and lifted the um, income-based um, component. However, the amount of funds they still were willing to give was not going to be enough for the intensive intervention that many individuals need. Um, you know, on average, a 25-hour-a-week program for uh, a year costs approximately $65,000. Mm -hmm. And under the new program by Minister McLeod, she was going to be giving approximately $20,000. And what a lot of people don't realize is that as a result of them not getting the supports they need, these individuals will then be moving into the school system. And they won't have the skills they need to be in that school system. And then they're going to be integrated into these classrooms. And they won't have the, the necessary um, supports in the classroom because, unfortunately, there's not enough training and support for teachers and EAs and ECE workers. Um, work with individuals with, with autism and, and special needs. Um, so that will then impact every other child in those classrooms as well. 
um, which is it's not appropriate for for either individual. Um, and it's really disheartening that that was going to occur. I know it's really complicated, the situation, but according to the government, we have a 23,000 waiting list. What could be the consequence for these kids who don't have access to the right treatment now? So under the old, old program, there was at least, you know, a the numbers keep changing, but approximately 8,400 children were receiving service. And every region was doing something a little bit different, which was part of the problem. Um, and under this new program, Minister McLeod kept saying that she would end up getting everybody off the wait list, but she would be getting people off the wait list and not giving them what they needed. Um, it's kind of like, um, you know, someone who is you're sick, you have a cold, you have a sinus infection and you go to the doctor and you wait to get see the doctor for two weeks and you finally get in there and you have a, I have a sinus infection and they say, oh, okay, well, take some cough drops instead. Here's some cough drops. You're not giving them the antibiotics that they need, right? So you have all these individuals who do not have the skills that they need to be able to be um, as independent as possible and as functioning members of society. You know, I, I, I heard a mother um, explain this once before when uh, on an interview, and she said, you know, we're not looking for our children to go to college and university. We're asking for our children to be able to, you know, sit on the toilet and, you know, avoid on the toilet and to be able to eat their dinner on their own and to be able to pull up their pants and to be able to communicate basic wants and needs. Um, so that is what we're looking at teaching these individuals. And the impact of them not receiving the intervention that you need, they will then be going in the community where there's even less qualified individuals um, to, to work with them. So, for example, the schools. It's a huge impact on the school system. We know our colleagues within the school system are already um, limited and, um, you know, they're stretched to their limit. Um, we now know about these, the, the cats that are being lifted in the classroom, um, and already it's challenging in the classroom as, as it is. And now you're going to be putting additional individuals in the class who don't have the ability to just sit and attend to a lesson. Um, individuals who can't sit in a chair, um, individuals who constantly are moving around or engaging in stimulatory behavior and who aren't able to communicate. And then you have other individuals who might be aggressive or engage in self-injurious behavior. So it won't be good for them. We are not even talking about their classmates or even... Absolutely. We are talking about, We're talking about these, individuals these individuals themselves and then also their classmates. Yes. You know, even if you have a, an individual who who is quiet who doesn't really pay attention to the teacher, yes. but someone who can't sit down and wanders around the classroom, well, that distracts the other kids. So their ability to learn is going to be compromised because they're going to be distracted, right? And then you have the teacher who's trying to teach a lesson who is also trying to work with this child and keep this child in the chair. And that's if you have one child in the class. Yes, As yes. we know, many classrooms have multiple children with, um, you know, not just uh, autism, but other various um, childhood disorders, um, ADHD, we have you know, individuals who might have Down syndrome um, who are in classrooms and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the needs of a classroom is very complex. Um, and what we would like to see is there to be more training and qualified individuals in those classrooms. Um, our programs at the college um, that we have in, in my program specifically, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, we have various components of the program, um, and part of it is um, we have uh, two postgraduate programs, which um, many individuals come to the programs with, you know, general psychology backgrounds. We also get ECE students as well as child abuse worker, and we love getting those students because we know those individuals are now coming to our program. They're getting training and qualifications on how to work with individuals with autism and other um, childhood disorders. And then they're going off into the schools and they're going into preschools and they're having more training and information on how to work with these individuals. We really wanted there to be um, some collaboration among the ministries um, to make sure that not only are the Ministry of um, you know, Community Services is providing support, but also through the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Health. Um, myself, I have two young children who are in the school system um, and, you know, the public school system. And I know from from my experience with them, they have individuals in their classrooms who, who need additional support. And, and I've spoken with many of their teachers over the years about, um, you know, how how it's challenging. And, um, you know, so if we can get that um, collaboration between, um, you know, the ministries and really working to ensure that there are um, qualified professionals within the school system and in daycares and preschools to help support individuals with autism. Um, you know, that is just, uh, it would be fantastic. Lisa Kresman, Applied Behavior Analysis at a Center for Kids with Autism, tells us how the intensive therapy works and that by the end of the day, her goal is not to be needed anymore by these kids. So my first question is, what's your role in the center? Well, as an instructor, I work one-on-one -on -one with the kids and we perform programs, um, helping them to learn the skills that are deemed important by the parents and by our um, board-certified behavior analysis. So the programs can be anything from uh, learning how to brush their teeth, learning how to wash their hands, to anything like social skills like saying hi to your friends or learning how to play tag. And we also do a lot of school skills such as um, math and language. So basically you're teaching things that are really basic for people who don't have autism, but for those kids are things that like they take time to learn those things, right? Exactly. For most kids, learning how to wash their hands can take up to a few weeks to a few months to learn, but for these kids, we need to go step-by-step step, teaching them. It could take anywhere from a few weeks to learn, but it could take them up to years to learn these um, skills. So it's really important that they come to our center and they have the intensive care that we provide for them, the daily uh, routines of learning this and completing the steps properly. Uh, how long do you stay with uh, those kids? Just like they come every day, just like a regular school or something like once a week or it depends? Yeah, it depends. Um, the children have been getting funding from the government uh, based off of their needs. So we have a lot of kids who come about 30 to 40 hours a week, um, eight, eight hours a day, four days a week, five days a week. And then we have some kids who attend a public school. Um, so they just come a few hours after school or a few hours before school. And could you give an example or, or a situation that you remember that happened at your work? Yeah, so we have a lot of kids who are nonverbal and 
we teach them through different forms of communication how to speak or and how to communicate with others. So the boy that I started with, he was completely nonverbal, and we started out with text, so pictures of items that he would want. So he would have a book, and it would say cookies, and he would hand me that picture of cookies, and he would get a cookie. And a year later, he has now just got an iPad, and he can now form almost full sentences saying, I eat cookie, and he's now actually copying what the iPad is saying, and he's saying it vocally as well. So just in a year of the intensive programming that we offer, he has now been able to communicate with his family and tell people what he wants. And it's just such a gift to be able to see these kids grow like that. And in this case, it took a year, but in other cases, I've seen kids who learn hand washing or toothbrushing or how to say hi to their friends so quickly. It could even just take a week. And so it's so rewarding to see them grow so quickly and be able to interact with their peers and their family and be a part of the community. And and this specific kid, how many times does he, does he go? How many times is he with you there? He's with us three times and we actually provide a home session for him as well. So I go into his home and I work in his environment that he's used to and I can help his mom and dad see how we teach him and so that they can teach him as well. And and for if you were talking about an end goal in a situation as a kid with uh, autism, which is the end goal for you personally and also, of course, for the treatment that you provide at the center? What are you aiming, what are you hoping at the end? Honestly, my end goal is to put myself out of a job. If they don't need me anymore, then I've done my work. They should be able to function in the community and in their home without the help of me. So really my end goal is just to put myself out of work, make sure I have no job and have these kids be able to do what they need to do or at least be able to ask for help if they don't know how to do something. Okay, great. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. You're welcome. And that's all for today, folks. Now we have to wait to see what changes Minister McLeod and the province will bring for these kids. I would like to add that we tried to get in touch with Minister McLeod, but until the publication of this episode, they didn't contact us back. But before we go, this is the final episode of the season, which means my last episode as the host and producer of the Dialogues podcast. It was a great pleasure to know people's stories and connect them to you. I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Thanks Mick Sweetman, coordinator of the Dialog newspaper, and all the reporters and editors who helped me a lot during these two semesters. For one last thing, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future releases. That's all for today. See you sometime. Bye.